from Edmonton, where the ice underfoot is crunchy again, signaling the false start of the end of winter. This is the Three Things Podcast. I'm Glenn Kubish. This week's trio of things that left behind tracks of happiness and gratitude starts with number one, resources. Somehow, I'm finishing up teaching a strategic communications planning course at McEwen University. I enjoy hanging out in the academy where inquiry is still a thing. In school, I'm still a fish hooked by the question mark. The students are clever, and I've had a strong supporting cast for this one-of-a-kind experience. The doc came by to talk about diagnosing things properly, either medical situations or communications challenges. Rely on your heuristics, your shortcuts as you assess the nature of a problem, but don't let them become prejudices. When you hear hoofbeats, think horses, but keep zebras in mind, he said. JP reminded the students there's no such thing as the general public. Be specific, she said. Son shared a lesson in brand and brand models. Dig for insight, she said. Fitz fed me with articles. Take a look at this, he said. Lori talked about Crave Cupcakes and Ted Lasso. Believe, she said. Our textbook is Strategic Communication in Canada by Bernard Gauthier. It's a guide through the fog others pump into the craft. Gauthier himself zoomed in from Ottawa to underline how important it is for any professional communicator to honestly assess the strength of the team they rely on to get the word out. Like time, money, and stories, people are resources. That's a key takeaway for me, the start of my personal SWOT analysis of my time behind the lectern. Turns out it's not all academic. I have talented friends who show up. That's what I've learned teaching. Number two, the East. In a drawer in a cupboard in our living room, Sheila found an old photograph of her mother as a young woman. Oblivious to the camera, maybe, Phyllis Dawson sits in an automobile, intently reading a Halifax newspaper. The obscured masthead ends with the letters L.D. She's wearing a plaid jacket. She's reading page two, the continuation, I'm guessing, of the front page story. The headline is partially concealed by her left hand, only the giant uppercase lettered word royalty and parts of the word demonstration, maybe, maybe it's demonstration, are legible. The sub-headline reads, Their Majesty's Given, and has the word war, or is it warm, in it. I thought the pic was from the mid-1940s, but Sheila said 1939. Twitter agreed with her. I posted the photo with an appeal for help tracking down the front page. It would be fun to read what she was reading, right? My online detective friends did their sleuthing. Jason put some dates and keywords into a newspaper search site. Lauren said the LD meant the paper was the Halifax Herald. Caroline and the professor and my old newspaper buddy Terry, all three of them said Phyllis was reading coverage of the royal visit to Halifax in June 1939. Or email your request to archives at novascotia.com. So I followed the trail and emailed the pic to the Nova Scotia archives, explaining that we would enjoy reading the article that had caught Phil's attention on that sunny day more than 80 years ago. Five hours later, quicker than Amazon Prime, I received an image of the front page of the Halifax Herald, June 15th, 1939, headlined, Nova Scotia welcomes royalty with colorful demonstration. Their majesties are given warm Scots greeting. 
It was the glowing account of the visit to the Nova Scotian capital of King George VI and Queen Elizabeth. The Halifax stop wrapped up a cross-country's tour that also took the royals to Washington, D.C. to discuss the state of the world with FDR. Looming war must have been there for 20-year-old Phyllis, too, there between the lines of the newspaper copy, itself constructed in military metaphor. At Truro, where a 10-minute stop is scheduled, large numbers had taken up positions last night and more would be moving to occupy vantage points at daybreak. On September 1st, Danzig is incorporated into the Reich, and all Europe is aflame. Two and a half months later, Germany would invade Poland, changing the trajectory of millions of lives, including the newspaper reading Phyllis Dawson from Central Badak, Prince Edward Island. She would go on to work for the British Army in Washington, D.C. Was she reading the future? Did she see herself in it? Gotta say, she looks like she's up to it and ready for the unknown. That's what I read. Number three, the West. In the first verse of Land of Shining Mountains, Ian Tyson places a go-cup in the hands of our lonely hero as he heads out for work in the morning. You know the song, boy meets girl, girl leaves boy and heads for the coast, boy goes to work in the oil field. Pretty predictable stuff, until the wild second verse where we are carried high above the highway and told to look back down and consider the big picture. From this height, it's all topography and watersheds, the Great Divide, the rivers in a dry land that feed the cities of the plains. It's not a perspective we often get in the news, weather and traffic together every seven minutes a media scape, except last week on CBC Radio at the tail end of the morning rush hour when talk turned to the health of the North Saskatchewan River. Well, that's something that CBC meteorologist Christy Kleinman-Hag has been looking into and she joins us this morning. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Mark. So what are we talking about when we refer to the watershed? So Most of it was over my head, but I kind of heard something when stormwater ponds and naturalized areas were likened to containers that slowly filter sediments and pollutants out of the runoff water in urban areas. Liquid, containers, filters, coffee in a go cup. Turns out that rig worker is holding the West in his hands. Old man in the castle the Red deer and the battle Thanks for being out there, friends. See you next time.